Recovery and Addiction, Season 1, Episode 4, The Behaviour of Addiction. Hi, I'm Chris, I'm an addict. It's so good to see so many of you now following me with these podcasts, and I really hope that they're helping you. I can tell you one thing, even as I'm going through and hearing back even myself, and also the comments that are coming back, I'm learning so much. It's, it's a really good refresher and something I, as an addict, constantly need to do. Anyway, what are we doing this week? Okay, we're doing the behavior of addiction. What is the tiger's behavior? Try to understand that. And this is now episode four of season one of Understanding Addiction. I've got some uh, sound bites that I want to play to you, and I'm going to play them as we go along because it's really going to be questions that have come up about this behavior of addiction. I just want to read before I go into that a couple of things that always remind me about where I am at in my disease of addiction. And there are a couple of quotations here, and one of them goes like this I do not understand my own action for I do not do what I want, but do the very thing that I hate. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. That just seems sort of, uh, I don't know, it just doesn't seem logical in any possible way. But in addiction, it's completely logical because this is what we live every day until we turn around and decide, I'm no longer gonna be controlled by this tiger, by this addiction. And I just want to remind all those out there, families and addicts, of course. And this is something that I feel myself, that uh, about addicts as a whole. Addicts are not bad people. We are people who are living with a disease we don't understand and do bad things to survive. And that's really, if I look back, how I felt about my active addiction. I had no idea how I was going to get out of this, so I just accepted this was going to be my life from here and I needed to survive. And then obviously with that came all the behavior to survive, to keep feeding my tiger. We change to survive. This is as an active addict. We change to survive. We live to use and use to live. We cannot see a life without feeding our addiction. In other words, the addiction became our master, or is our master. It rules our lives and we become people we never ever saw ourselves becoming. I I personally look back on my behavior, how I was an active addict, and I understand it because I was just trying to survive, but the behavior was so who I wasn't. I became this to survive. And I'm going to explain that in this series. The addiction is not about the cravings, the physical element, the weaknesses. It's not about that. It's it's way beyond that. It's about the inability not being able to take back control. Why? Well, I'm going to go into that. But first, I want you to listen to this little soundbite that's come from Kathy. Kathy, thanks so much for sending me this. Let's just have a listen. Hi there. I lost my 18-year-old son in 2001 to drug addiction. And I'm avidly following your group. 
I like to believe that an adult has the advantage and ability with knowledge and guidance and a belief system to process their feelings and cultivate an inner resolve to heal and beat addiction. But I have to ask the question, what about teenagers and young adults? We are told that the front lobe of the brain only matures at age 25. This lobe is a part of the brain that controls important cognitive skills in humans, such as emotional expression, problem solving, memory, language, judgment, and sexual behaviors. It is in essence the control panel of our personality and our ability to communicate. I found that my son was, in the last four years before he passed, um, incredibly aggressive, unpredictable, and even dangerous. We we actually feared him. Um, we couldn't reason with him. He was completely defiant, and he was like a loose cannon and out of control. So this is my contribution from a mother who would have liked to have understood the behavior um, whilst he was still alive. Thank you, Chris. Kathy, thank you so much for that message you sent me. And I can't even begin to understand that pain you must have been going through and questioning why, what, and why couldn't I have saved him? Well, you couldn't have. Uh, it, it, it was something that he had to make the decision to stop or continue to use and unfortunately he, he, he continued to use and I'm going to try and explain the best way I can of why he continued to use. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use my tiger, the image that I like to put in in the word addiction that I know had been controlling me and try and explain as best I can about why it is difficult, why we cannot see a way out. I want you to think uh, of a tiger, remembering that he is an addiction, but let's just put it in the context of a tiger. Having learned quite a lot about tigers in the real sense of tigers, tigers always attack by surprise. They are stealth. You cannot hear them. They have massive paws. But because their paws are so big, when they touch the ground, if a stick cracks when he presses his foot down, it is um, muffled under the foot of the tiger, so you can never hear it. And it's, it's ironic that, that that is exactly how I felt about addiction. It was invisible. I never heard it coming, and it grabbed me. And I was vulnerable. I was really vulnerable. And the other thing is that tigers attack the weakest. They attack the weakest out of a, a, a herd of animal or they attack the person in a queue of people who are walking through the jungle they will attack the weakest one which is usually the one that has fallen to the back and then they attack in stealth you never saw they were there and the next thing they're on you and they're gripping you now i'm not saying an addict is a weak person and that's why he got attacked by the tiger, because he was weak, not at all. What I'm saying is the reason that we might fall to the back of the queue, back of the line, walking through the jungle, in real terms is because of the circumstances and environments 
and situations that have happened to us in our past, in our youth. As I've talked about, I was sexually abused. I was uh, made to feel like a complete idiot. I had no self-esteem. So I became vulnerable to addiction, vulnerable to the tiger. What happens is now, I want you to imagine the tiger, he has got his prey, he is holding it, he is grabbing it, and he will hold it tight and he won't let go. He will manipulate that prey, he will hold it tight, he will put his claws deep into it. And the prey is now completely out of his control, but now in the tiger's control. And as long as the tiger holds on to him, you can't get out. And so now you have to try and survive in that domain of being controlled by your addiction, by the tiger. So I want you now to think about the tiger and the behavior of it, of which you are now a part. You have now got the tiger on you and you are now trying to survive. And so you will do anything that that tiger wants you to do to maintain something of a life in front of you. But knowing, which is the insanity, that you are likely to change dramatically, even take risks of your own life to maintain that tiger. And so to just keep going forward, you will do what that tiger wants you to do. And now you change. Your behavior changes into survival mode. Let's just very quickly talk a little bit of science here. I, I don't really like going into science, but it is interesting for me. Why are we physically unable to stop? And what happens to us? And what happens to our brain? It's about rewiring our brain. It's about what has happened in the process of active addiction. Our brain has rewired itself to be able to adapt to this massive demand and need and constant flow of a new chemical in the body. The body itself as a natural state has natural chemicals to maintain natural bodily needs and functions. It's all about just keeping our incredible uh, creation of our body running a normal life. However, when we add other chemicals or stimulations, it overproduces. Most of the chemicals in our body, I mean all of the chemicals in our body when everything is normal, are natural. When, however, the introduction of chemicals come into our body, the brain rewires itself to adapt to this change. It is the brain rewiring of an addict that is actually the brain damage. Some extensive irreversible brain damage and some minimal, but it's there. One of the most obvious results of this rewiring, this call it brain damage, it is very clear that an addict can no longer have just one drink, one drug, one spin of the wheel, one minute of porn and so on. So how do we ever put this disease into remission? Can we? Yes, we can. But we do have to and can acknowledge that we need to change. And so the journey begins. What is the stealth of this? What is the stealth of the tiger, of the addiction? 
Well, the biggest stealth of it is this incredible, powerful denial that we have a problem. And most, if not all addicts, at some point in time, will fall into the trap of complete denial. We've become very sick people and we don't see any way out. We live in anger, bitterness, fear, resentment, shame and judgment on all others. And this is I'm talking about myself. This is where I was at 100%. And we just don't take any responsibility whatsoever for where we've got to. We will find a way on blaming it on everybody else. It's always going to be as it was for me. Ya but, ya but. This person, that person, my circumstances, I had to, I couldn't cope. And what that is, is denial. And denial is the refusal to acknowledge an unacceptable truth or emotion or to admit it into consciousness. And this is used as a defense mechanism. But what happens when we take back our control? What happens when we take back life? And take back life not controlled by our addiction? I could tell you what it is. It's one word. Freedom. First, I've got to say, I know how much courage it takes to admit that you have a problem. It was harder than I can ever explain that I could possibly have got into this place of addiction. And I did in the end begin to say, I need help. And it's because of another addict who was recovering, who reached out to me and saw this, who began to help me start this journey of recovery as I hope I'm gonna help with anybody listening to this now. This is a decision that will and has changed lives of many people. It changed mine. So how do we start? Well, you need to take the first step to recovery. You won't recover overnight, as we didn't become addicts overnight, did we? So all I'm saying to you is, just take it easy, slow it, slow it down, just start contemplating what has been said today. The start really is to make contacts with people you know who are in recovery, or family members who have, to, who have reached out to you before. And just start going to find where a fellowship meeting of your particular drug of choice is being held. And when you get there, just listen, just listen. And from listening, you will hear people speak about recovery that are very similar to your journey, where you were at, and what you were doing. And, and, and to hear that it is possible to start this journey of recovery. And anybody in that room that you walk into wants to help you start your journey to freedom from active addiction. And when you're listening to a meeting when somebody's speaking, a recovering addict, and their story of experience, strength, and hope, don't judge it. Just listen to the similarities, not the differences. Each addiction activity, drugs, alcohol, porn, eating disorder, etc., have similarities that the disease of addiction is recognized by. Wherever your journey of active addiction is or was, you have the disease of addiction. I have the highest, highest admiration for anyone, anyone who walks into 
a meeting, a fellowship meeting for the first time as a newcomer because I know how much that has taken to walk in there. There is a massive amount of fear, a massive amount of fear of judgment and anybody in that meeting who sees that person as I would walk into that meeting would have the same feeling about that newcomer, that person who has made the most incredibly challenging decision that will turn them around because they've walked into that meeting and are prepared to say, I need help. And that's where, for me, the 12-step program of recovery has helped me get to where I am today and remain clean a day at a time. And I'm not having to do this on my own. I'm doing it every day with fellow addicts who are taking the same journey as me. And I certainly never in my life thought I would have the friendships and the support that I am getting from such people as I do today. I hope that from my experience that it will give you hope that you will be able to take those steps forward in recovering from addiction. And I go and I say this to the families as well. You have also been behaving in certain ways that you would not normally have behaved to cover up for the addict. Think about how many times you had to lie for your addict. How many times you had to cover up for your addict. Is that normal? How many times have you had to be secretive about your addict? As an addict says, we're as sick as the secrets we keep. So I want you not to feel that you are excluded from this addiction uh, disease and the addiction behavior. But let's get on to really how do I learn to live with this disease? How do I get back to being the person I was before, before I became the addict with all these character defects and behavioral taints that I hated myself about? As I've talked about the fellowship meetings, it is a recovery program that I chose to take. And it's the 12-step program of recovery used by so many addiction fellowships all over the world. And you know most of them, there's AA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Undereaters Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous, and it goes on. There are many, many more, each dealing with a specific addiction. However, in that process, let's not forget addiction is addiction. And regardless of the journey that we took to get there, any activity that is related to addiction can reactivate the addiction in us. So in series two, I'm gonna be taking you through each of the steps of the 12-step program and explain them through my journey and how I began to understand it. Every journey of recovery is very personal, particularly a relationship with a higher power. In my case, Jesus Christ, which I have said before. But I'm going to take you through it so that it is completely inclusive for everybody and anybody to start taking this program of recovery, of getting this addiction disease into remission. So I'm going to wrap it up now. Um, and But as usual, we've got um, a guest speaker uh, who's going to speak today. And I'm really excited about listening to her. 
And she was very much caught in uh, addiction through her eating. And this is where you will, and I ask you, look for the similarities and not the differences. And you will see where the behaviors cross over regardless of what your choice of addiction was, that you chose to feed the addiction was. Okay, without further ado, I'm gonna hand over to Nadine, who's gonna tell you her story dealing with the addiction of an eating disorder and also the understanding of her addiction. Nadine, over to you. Good day, friends. My name is Nadine and I'm an addict. My journey to the recovery started about five and a half years ago. I met Chris and he told me he was starting a recovery course called 12 Steps because he was an addict. I thought about what he said and asked him whether it would help me with my eating, never thinking that it could be addiction. I arrived that evening not knowing what to expect. The venue was at a church. I was surprised to see how many people attended. That night I knew I was in the right place. I met others with the same problem, addiction, that I have. I realised I was not alone. My problem began, I believe, when I was nine years old. I was continually molested by an uncle. Eventually my parents chased him away. He had been living with us from time to time. I had to see him from time to time after that and it was horrible. Many years later he passed away and I sobbed for no other reason but that I was finally rid of him. I never had a good image of myself and used to scratch my face out of any photos I found of myself. I was also molested by two older cousins. I married and it lasted eight years. Out of the marriage, my two very precious sons were born. I became a single parent for many years. I continued searching for someone to love me. I became promiscuous because I believed that sex was love. After sleeping with a man, I used to cry out to God to please just let me belong to one man. I married twice more, and all my marriages were a disaster. My life was a mess. I continued being a good mother to my two sons. I did seek counselling on numerous occasions. I had a terrible temper and was filled with uncontrollable anger and used to attack my partners physically. This was not good. Unresolved anger. I met my present partner 20 years ago. At the beginning, after about a year, I wanted to commit suicide. Fortunately, I asked my partner to take me to the doctor. The doctor on duty worked at the teddy bear clinic at the time and she understood my case. She gave me an injection to calm me and I began taking antidepressant tablets. For the first time I felt I could face life. My journey was still not easy. I used to smoke, my weight was up and down and I loved eating. My go-to for comfort I eventually used to fool myself and eat when I thought no one was 
watching, not actually eating, stuffing myself out of control. I stopped smoking about a year before my first grandchild was born. I didn't want the child to have a stinky gran. The eating changed when I joined Wayless. I went on to become a Wayless group leader. My weight was under control. I was accountable to someone. I stopped being a group leader, continued eating. I reached my heaviest ever. This did not help my image of myself, so, I beca- so it became a vicious circle. You turned to food for comfort, security, and self-punishment. I started the recovery course and realized that my eating addiction was actually unresolved issues in my life. The 12 steps taught me to dig deep down inside. The homework actually forced you to write down things you would never share with anyone else. Firstly, you have to admit that you are powerless and that your life has become unmanageable. That God or your higher power was there to help you. I had to make a fearless moral inventory of myself and admit to myself and others the nature of my wrongs. I sought through prayer and continued work on myself to admit when I was wrong. Recovery is a work in progress. You continue seeking contact with God and His knowledge. Mostly you have to commit to continue attending groups and call upon help when you cannot manage, i.e. a sponsor. I became a facilitator for two years thereafter and thereby continued learning from others. I chose to go back to Wales and make myself accountable each week and have done so for the past four years. I do still fall down, but immediately I start working on getting back to the 12 steps. Eating is a difficult addiction because you don't need to go to a pub, shabin, or depend on a dealer, but you do need to eat. So I try as far as possible not to keep any foods that will make me trip up. I do not deprive others, but I do strive to control myself. I am eternally grateful to the 12-step program for getting me onto the road to recovery. I wish you well on yours. Thank you. Thank you, Nadine. Wonderful. And it's always, as I say, I've heard you speak before and it's so good to hear your honesty and, and your recovery. It's just, it's wonderful. It's very encouraging. We're going to close off now. And before we do... I'm going to give you a little bit of a teaser of uh, one of the people who are going to speak next week. It's William. And uh, William's got an amazing journey. And I met him when he had just started his recovery. He is, for me, a hero of recovery. But at the same time, he's like any other recovering addict. We have to be. If we think we are better than others, we start falling very fast and it can activate addiction because we have complacency and arrogance and all the things that this disease carries and amplifies. So I'm very careful myself, to be sure. 
that I am not being arrogant, over-complacent and feel that I am better than others because I can tell you I am not. I am not. I have continually and do continually have to check my behaviour. But enough of that. I can go on forever about this. But I just want you to hear a little teaser uh, from William's life story, which we will get in full next week. Hi, guys. Um, I'm William. I'm an addict. I'm just going to share a little bit of my story. Um, I've been addicted for drugs since the age of the age of 13 years old. I was using drugs until I was 34 years old. So it's been a very long time. I lost everything and slept on the streets for two and a half years. And at the early age of 13 years old, I was involved with gangsterism and hurting people, fighting, lying, stealing was the only thing I knew. And, and I realized that I can't do this anymore and I can't do it out of my own. So out of desperation, I cried out to God that he will help me. And God helped me. And the behavior I had in, as an addict, I was a very good liar. And every lie that I thought, that I, that I told, I remember that lie. Because even if you ask me a question tomorrow, I know exactly what I lied, and I would tell you that same lie again. I, I struggle to forgive myself for what I've done after a couple of weeks in rehab till I got sober, so it was very hard for me to accept what I've done to the people that love me the most because I've hurt the people that love me the most. But God restored everything and my life today is I'm sharing my, my story at a lot of schools being involved in schools, helping other kids. Because um, a lot of young ones is experimenting with marijuana and, and I started with that marijuana and alcohol and it developed to, to different drugs. So, but I'm just grateful to God to be here to, to share a little bit of my, my story and just very grateful and today um, I have my own business, my own house and especially here in the town where I stay winters it snows on the mountain and, and I had no clothes because using drugs I sold everything even shoes I, I walked with a, with a pair of flip-flops for two winters and 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 people didn't like me and, and if they saw me they know something's gonna happen. They're gonna be robbed or they're gonna be hurt. But today people saw me. They saw the change in me and, and a lot of youngsters want to know how I did it because they knew me from from my addiction days and, and I'm not ashamed of my story because my story can if it's one out of a hundred people that would try to make a change because 
we're not in this alone and that there is help out there. So to all the guys, you know, um, um, God gave, give the toughest battles, give the hardest battles to his toughest soldiers. Because I think we as addicts with such powerful testimonies are the toughest soldiers and that God must use us a lot. So thank you very much. God bless you and stay strong. Thank you, William. And thank you for offering to speak with such openness as well. William, I'm looking forward to next week, as I'm sure everybody else is. So guys, thank you for listening as usual. I'm looking forward to next week, uh, where we will start talking about moving into recovery uh, and how we recognize that and all those sort of things. It's more than what I've just spoken about. So until then, thank you. And remember, keep cool and above all, keep it clean.